Welcome to Get Right for Sunday, a podcast designed to help you prepare for Sunday and beyond. I am Pastor Wright, and each week I have a conversation exploring the Bible readings for this upcoming Sunday. Join us as we discuss how the lessons are applied to our daily life in Christ. Welcome to Get Right for Sunday, where today we get to look at the gospel reading along with the other readings for the 14th Sunday after Pentecost. The gospel lesson comes to us from St. Luke, the 15th chapter, and we get Jesus messing around with the Pharisees once again. And what I mean by this is he's going to do something contrary to what the Pharisees do. He's going to mingle with the people. And by this, he's going to go to the tax collectors, the sinners. In fact, that's exactly what the opening verse, verse 1 of chapter 15 says. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, Jesus. Now I think this is, first of all, very interesting in the simple fact that they don't feel comfortable going to the Pharisees. They don't feel comfortable going to the synagogues, the priests, the Sadducees, the religious leaders. And there's a reason for this. When we look at tax collectors and sinners, they weren't finding forgiveness. They weren't finding hope. And so they were probably staying away from church, synagogue, worship. And Jesus comes and offers and does something completely different than what the Pharisees were saying and doing. And now we have to remember the Pharisees were preaching a works righteousness. Here is God's law. Complete it. Do it. And I will judge you as to how well you're doing it. And again, as I've said before, I don't think that the Pharisees, there's bad Pharisees, there's good Pharisees, there's bad pastors, there's good pastors, so on and so forth. I don't think that most or all the Pharisees were out to oppress the people. I don't think they were there to make them feel worse or to keep them under their thumb by continually pointing out how bad they were or how well they were not fulfilling God's law. But you got to also understand that the way the Pharisees, the religious leaders of this time, were preaching God was all about you need to complete God's law. And the closer you get to perfection, the better God will like you. So just keep on trying and trying and trying. Well, some of these people lived a life that was completely nothing but sin. We have the tax collectors, and their job was to tax their fellow Jews. They were hated by their fellow Jews because they were taking money from their brothers and sisters and then giving it to occupying Rome. And now with this, you also had some really bad characters 
with the tax collectors who would then use the authority of Rome and say, oh, it looks like you owe $5, but it's really $7. And they would give Rome the $5 and they would pocket the $2. Because if they said that so-and-so was not paying the taxes or whatever, Rome would come in and they would arrest him or, or do whatever punishment was necessary. So out of fear of Rome, the soldiers coming in and doing stuff to people, they would just pay the exorbitant amount of taxes and hope that it would just go away, that they would be safe. So tax collectors were rich, but they were rich by stealing. They were rich by deceiving. They were rich by doing all the wrong things to get their money. And then the other sinners, there would be prostitutes. There would be um, other uh, thieves and so on and so forth. And this would be the, the outcasts of society. They would be the marginalized. Everybody knows who they are and what they do, but you don't speak of them in polite company. And there is Jesus, this upstart, this man who is preaching the gospel, this man who is preaching something contrary to what has been taught for some 400 years and more, according to the Pharisees. And he's mingling with them. He's letting them touch him. He's talking to them as if they were good people. If they were good people, they wouldn't be sinners. They wouldn't be doing all the bad things. They wouldn't be the marginalized. But Jesus goes to them. And you hear the Pharisees, they complain. They, they don't get it. And so Jesus does what Jesus does. He tells a story. And it's a parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country? And go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he had found it, he lays it on his shoulders and rejoices. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my lost sheep. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Now, this is just Jesus throwing the gauntlet down, especially at that last statement. You know he's looking at the Pharisees when he says, 99 who need no repentance. Because who of us doesn't need to repent or change their ways or to recognize their sin before God? Of course, we're going to say nobody. Nobody's perfect. But the Pharisees, they looked at the law and they said, I am completing it. I am doing it. They saw it as something that is in their grasp, in their ability to do. And again, this is what they taught. This is what they gave the people. And this is a false hope. This is making yourself, frankly, God, that you yourself can rescue you yourself from your sin, from your death, from your damnation. And Jesus makes this story. And think about this. This is not reasonable. Why would a shepherd leave 99 sheep out in the open? 
unguarded, to go find the lost sheep. If you were to do a cost analysis on this, you would see that the loss of one sheep doesn't compare to the loss, the possible loss of 99 sheep. But what does Jesus do? Hey, sheep, stay here. I'll be right back. And he goes off to find the one. And we praise God because in this story, in this parable, it really is you. You're the lost sheep. And he goes after you. He goes so far. He goes to the depths of your death. He goes to the depths of your hell, facing the full wrath of God, which you deserve. And what does he do? He rejoices in your salvation. He tells everyone, and if we really think about this, he announces it to all the hosts of heaven, saying that this one, you, you, dear child, you, dear listener, you are the one who is redeemed. And heaven opens up and rejoices at the one who repents and is redeemed. Now, this is huge. I heard, um, I, I read something that brought this home a lot more, because this is a nice story of Jesus, but I have very little experience with sheep, and I understand what Jesus is saying, that when one sinner repents and is redeemed, this is something to truly rejoice over. Life is being brought to this person who formerly was dead in their trespasses. This is amazing. But if we take this just a little bit further, Think about it this way. You have St. Paul. Before he was the Apostle Paul, he was the Pharisee Paul. And he went out of his way to persecute the church. He went out of his way to squash the way, the way of salvation, the way of truth, the way to Jesus. And by his hands or by his direct results, people died. People had their lives ended because of St. Paul seeing that they were a threat to the way it has always been. The Judaism, the Pharisaical law, the law of the temple, so on and so forth. Paul went out of his way to persecute the church, and because of that, people died. When St. Paul entered into heaven, after he repented, after he was redeemed because of his baptism, because of the work of the Holy Spirit in Jesus, when he enters into heaven, he enters into the cheers of the very people who died at his hands or his actions. That is what Jesus is talking about. That is what heaven is like. That is how big redemption is. We rejoice when even those who wronged us repent and change their ways because of the work of the Holy Spirit, because of the work of God, because God in Christ now dwells in them and they are a new creation, a new creature, creature the one redeemed by God, made valuable because of the innocent, holy blood spilt upon them to cover them. That is what Jesus is talking about. And this is huge. And this is, again, one of the few parables that we get to see what lengths Jesus goes to rescue you. 
The problem is, too often we keep being that lost sheep running away. We find the herd because Jesus brings us back again and again and again and again. But how quickly do we run away? How quickly are we distracted? How quickly we return to our pet sins or new sins? Or how quickly we forget whose we are and live like we are our own God or our own power or our own to our own. And this is why we need to be reminded again and again what Jesus has done and continues to do for you. This is not a license to sin. This is not a free get-out-of-hell card. This is the fullness of God's work for you. And we cling to this in faith, knowing that God has hoisted us upon his shoulders and will carry us through this life to life everlasting, to the rejoicing, to the cheers, to the great heavenly banquet of forever and ever and ever. Jesus, again, hanging out with the tax collectors and the other sinners, looking at the Pharisees, tells yet another parable. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loans one coin, does not if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I have lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And once again, we, we see this imagery Heaven rejoices. Heaven has the great ability of the cheers, of the seeing, the promise fulfilled in the repentance of the sinners. And this is what we get to do. This is what the body of Christ does. And again, it seems so trivial. Think about if your neighbor knocked on your door and said, I found that lost dollar that I was looking for. What would you say? Oh, that's nice. And not think anything of it or think it was just a dollar. It was just a coin. It was just this. Think about what God would say. Think about who you are. Oh, that's just another person. There's billions and billions of people. Or I could just make another one. God doesn't do that. God sees value in you, in who and what you are. And this is why he goes to the cross for all people. And this is why we tell anybody and everybody about what Jesus has done for them so that we get to, through the work of the Holy Spirit, fill heaven with all the repentant sinners and keep hell as empty as possible of the unrepentant sinners. This is the mission of the church, and this is the life of the church, because one day when we enter into heaven, we will enter into the rejoicing and the cheers and the blessings of glory, all because of what Christ has done for us. We hold on to this because this is the true hope we have. 
And this hope isn't just wishful thinking. This hope isn't just, oh, I cross my fingers and we'll see what happens. This is your life. This is the life of faith. This is the continual repentance, the turning away from your sin, turning away from your sinful inclinations. This is recognizing that you are just as good as the tax collectors and the sinners. And what happens? You, too, can see that Jesus is completely different than the work's righteousness or the trying to hit the mark and appease God gospel of work's righteousness or the glory of the theology of glory. We go to the one who has redeemed us. We go to the one who has made us to be redeemed the one who has pronounced forgiveness. This is why we start all the divine services with confession and absolution. We confess our sins to one another, and we confess our sins to God. And we hear the sweet words of God himself through your pastor. Your sins, for the sake of Christ, have been forgiven. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And the congregation in unison says, Amen, making the statement, truly, truly, let it be as you say, speaking of God. And then the rest of the service, the rest of the service is nothing but receiving God's outpouring abundant grace and us responding with praise, with thanksgiving, with prayers. We are in the company of God and his angels, and we get to receive his work, knowing that he has promised to redeem and hold us. This is also reflected in the Old Testament uh, lesson from the prophet Ezekiel. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep, and I will seek them out, as a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered. So I will seek out my sheep. I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on the day of clouds and thick darkness. That is the promise of your God, that he continually seeks and searches you out. This is the proclamation of the gospel. This is the sending of the Holy Ghost. This is all that God does to reveal himself through creation, through your friends, through your family, through your parents, through co-workers, through whatever means he sees fit so that you will hear that you are loved, loved to the depths of heaven, and you have been rescued from the depths of death so that you will know that you have the sure and certain hope that passes all human understanding, the true peace of God, knowing that the wrath has been taken away and grace, peace, and mercy is now your life here and now and forevermore in the life to come through Christ our Lord. Thank you for listening to Get Right for Sunday. I know that your time is valuable, and of all the things that you could have watched or listened to, you have chosen to deepen your biblical understanding with Get Right for Sunday. Would you take a moment 
to give a five-star rating of this podcast on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform. This actually helps others to be able to find Get Right for Sunday. Again, thank you for your time, your prayers, and support.